Amen, amen. Who's, uh, who's thankful they came to church this morning? Anybody else? Praise God. You know, it's like we go through, our, we go through life and, uh, and coming here on Sunday mornings oftentimes can feel like we, we like stumbled upon the oasis in the wilderness that we've been looking for, you know, and you come in. Is anybody else just like feeling that this morning? Like, oh, okay, this is what I was created for, you know? Like you, you encounter the love of God, the presence of God, the people of God, and it's just like, oh, okay, th- there it is, you know? And uh, it's amazing. And, and, you know, God created worship. He created music actually to bring us together into this experience, you know, where we encounter his presence. Psalm 100 says we come into his presence with singing. So it's not we don't just do songs because it's like part of church tradition. We do songs because God created music to lead us into an encounter with him. And when we gather together in this corporate way, something unique happens and it's like we stumble upon the oasis in the wilderness. We're like, oh, yeah, this is what I was created for again. And, you know, we can dwell by that oasis all day, all day every day, every, all week long. You know, it's not just a Sunday morning thing. And so um, I'm just kind of curious. This is, I know this is in my notes this morning. Um, but how many of you guys have been at Antioch for less than one year? You've been at Antioch Community Church for less than one year. Awesome. Praise God. How many of you guys have been here for less than six months? Come on. All right. Praise God. How about less than one month? Just kind of curious. You've been at Antioch less than one month. All right. Come on. First time. Yep. Met a new friend this morning. So, so guys, this is so cool. We're the family. We're the family of God. And he's continually bringing new people in to this house, our little church here, Antioch Community Church. And, and so if you've been here for a year or for eight years or for a month, we just, what we just walked through in worship, being together, eyes fixed on Jesus in this place where it's like we stumble upon the, the oasis and God is among us. That is really what it's all about, what we are all about as a people. Because that place in the presence of God is actually, the scripture says, the, the fountain of living water. It is the place, it's where we find our fullness of joy. It's where we connect with heaven for a moment on the earth and all of our lives, we then get to live from that place, you know? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And I will be to him a well of water springing up into eternal life. You will never thirst again. We found it, guys, you know? You found it. It's Jesus. It's like what we just walked through this morning and worshiped together, like that it was just a sip of like what our whole lives are about. You found it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So, man, it's so fun to get to be together. My name is Chris Pletcher. I'm the family's pastor here. My wife and I, we've been at Antioch for about seven years. I've uh, been on staff for about two and a half as a family's pastor. And guys, I just love this church. I really do. It's changed my life. It's taken me to new places in my personal walk with God. It's transformed my family in new ways. It has is, it is just opened up things in me personally and I love this, this church family, and I love the family. Guys, we have some of the coolest families in the city. I don't say that like trying to be hip. Like, we just have some amazing, amazing families in this church community, and I, love, I feel like I have the best job in the world. And, it, and I, I like preaching. It's fun to get to share this morning. So I'm excited to kick off a new series for here. It is officially summertime. Praise God. June 3rd, we're in it, and we're, uh, we're kicking off a four-week series here into the summer called Shadows 
of a Savior, all right? And as we do, I just, I'm curious, um, how many of you guys, like, in your personality, just the way that God created you, you lean more towards, like, math and numbers and absolutes. You're, like, kind of a numbers guy or gal. Okay? Okay, come on. And then... How many of you guys are more like the reading comprehension and writing? You're a little bit abstract thinker. You're kind of on that camp. All right. Cool. So, so I didn't really grow up uh, enjoying uh, reading very much. Um, I got some good genes. My, my father and my grandfather were both uh, attorneys, incredibly brilliant men. So I was actually decent at reading comprehension and writing. But for whatever reason, I leaned toward numbers. My brain just like sees things in numbers and structure. And I kind of always went... That way, but even so, even though English wasn't my thing, uh, I still connected with it. And there was this one literary technique in English class growing up that I always was so interested in, and it was this idea of foreshadowing. I don't know why, but I like remember. I thought it was the coolest thing that you could actually like the author would kind of give you a glimpse into the future or give you a hint about something that was going to to come to pass through this technique called foreshadowing. And so this summer, we're actually going to walk through the Old Testament and dive into some passages and look at some shadows of Jesus, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Because how many of you guys know when we, when we see the face of Jesus, we are transformed to be more like him? The Bible calls that going from glory to glory, right? And so if we can look through the Old Testament and catch some fresh glimpses through what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament about Jesus, then we, we might actually have some hope to become more like Jesus, to love him and know him even more, right? By catching some of these fresh glimpses of his face. So I get to kick it off here this morning by talking to you guys about the incredible, inspirational, and prophetic life of King David, all right? And so I hope you got a journal and you're taking some notes because we're running a little bit late this morning, which means I'm going to go pretty quick here. And there's some amazing stuff that God has packed into the life of King David that shows us more about the life of King Jesus so that we can love him, follow him, know him better. Amen? All right. So flip with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to be chewing through some Old Testament scripture this morning. I hope you're hungry and attentive and ready to go, because it is some pretty cool stuff if you can focus your mind in and open your heart to what God wants to show us this morning. So in 1 Samuel 16, we don't really have time to give a big recap, so I'm going to give you just a brief 90-second recap of Old Testament history from Abraham to David, okay, in 90 seconds. Here it goes. God created the heavens and the earth. God created men and women to represent him, fill the earth with his glory. We rebelled against God, chose sin, and instead of filling the earth with the glory of God, we filled the earth with sin and wickedness. But God, never giving up on us, looks at the humanity and says, well, let's try something here. Why don't I pick a guy and I'm going to do something new? I'm going to actually, from this man, create a nation, a nation that will be called by my name, that will be my, called my people. So he finds this guy, Abraham. He calls him out of paganism and says, we're going to start over with you, my man. Abraham's descendants become enslaved in the land of Egypt for 400 years under Pharaoh. During that time, they grow from about 75 people to over a million strong. Pretty good way to grow a nation, actually. Okay, so they, God raises up a deliverer named Moses and leads the people of God out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, redeems them to lead them to the promised piece of land that he had promised to them because you can't be a nation, a people group, without somewhere to live, right? 
So he leads them out. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years, banging their heads against the wall of grumbling and, and selfishness, right? But then finally, under the leadership of Joshua, they come into this promised land and they begin to conquest and take possession of what God had given to them. It's a struggle. The God had already given it to them, but they had to take possession of it. So they're struggling, they're struggling for years and years, and finally they cry out to God. They say, we need a leader. We need a king to help us. We, they wanted an earthly leader, and so he gave them what they asked for, and God appointed King Saul to rule and reign over them as they were trying to take possession of this place that God had given them. And here we come to 1 Samuel 16. Saul started on pretty good, you guys track with me, is that all right? Maybe, maybe 95 seconds, but so, so King Saul actually started off on pretty decent footing. He was pretty humble in his response to God initially, but he began to disobey the voice of God, which led to a major failure of leadership. He began to disobey the voice of God, which led to a major failure of leadership. That's lesson number one for all of us. And so God actually rejects Saul from being king over this people. And here in verse 1, 1 Samuel, it says this. The Lord said to Samuel, who's a prophet of the Lord in these days, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. I've provided for myself a new king. We would come to find out that this would be David, a man after God's heart. So Jesse, Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He says, bring out all your sons. He goes down the line one by one, seven sons. He goes, no, none of these guys are God's anointed, chosen king. You have any other sons? And he picks it up here in verse 11, 1 Samuel 16. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes in here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So the number one way that David gives us a glimpse of King Jesus is in this, that just like Jesus, David was anointed as king at an early age, but it would be years before he came in to that calling. You see, David, most historians estimate that he was between about 10 and 15 years old in this passage. When Samuel came, rejected all the other sons, said, hey, that's the guy, the red-headed shepherd out in the field. That's God's chosen one. He was about 10 to 15 years old, but he wouldn't sit on the throne and actually reign over Israel till he was 30, 30. Jesus was born king of the Jews, right? But as we're going to see in a second, there was actually a process that God had to put even Jesus through to become the fullness of who he had been called to be. So David gives us this glimpse into the life of King Jesus. And so what's interesting here is David is anointed king, 15 years old. And guess what his first assignment from God is? Let's look here in verse, in, in uh, the next section here, 16, 14 through 22. I'll paraphrase a little bit of it. The first assignment he gets is to go serve 
crazy, rejected King Saul. Wait, wait, wait. So he was anointed king, but he didn't get to go like practice ruling and reigning right out of the gate? No. Actually, he was anointed king, and then God's first assignment was go serve a crazy, rejected king. He literally, that's what happened. And so King Saul was losing his mind. He had disobeyed the voice of the Lord, and it led him into a life of confusion and rebellion. Anybody been there before? So he actually was going so crazy because he was in disobedience to God that one of his servants said, I have an idea. Why don't we find somebody that can play some pretty music? And every time you're losing your brain, we'll put on some worship music and, oh, you'll get peace again. And he was like, great idea. Do you guys know anybody like that? And they were like, well, yeah, yeah, actually. Uh, one of the young men answered, verse 18, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son. Verse 21, And David came to Saul and entered his service. Okay, David, anointed as king of Israel at 15 years old, the first assignment he got from God was to enter into the service of a crazy king that was losing his mind. Are you seeing this? So, why this assignment? Why this assignment? Because God is always concerned with your character first, then your calling. God is always concerned with your character first, and then your calling. You see, between, this is not my quote, this is from an author and speaker that I, I love to read. His name's Chris Vallotton. He says, between the promise and the palace there's always a process. Isn't that good? Between the promise and the palace, there's always a process. But sometimes in the midst of the process, we actually think that God is holding out from us something. And so in this season of preparation, we get kind of frustrated with the process. We think God's holding out on us. Chris Valton says, we need to stop seeing waiting as withholding and start seeing it as preparation. Okay, again, 15 years old, he's anointed king. How many years before he sits on the throne? At least another 15. He's 30 before he sits and reigns. Okay, and so depending on how you look at it, either David had to wait 15 years before he could become who God made him to be, or David got to be shaped and prepared for the calling that God put in his life. I want, have any guys, God has like spoken something over your life. He's like said, hey, this, I've got a plan for you. I want you to, I've, I've gifted you in this way. Now, raise your hand if you feel like God has spoken something over your life that you are not living in the fulfillment of right now. God has given you a promise. He's given you a calling. He's given you a dream and you have not yet seen it come to pass. There's a lot of hands up around this room because between the promise and the fulfillment, there's always a process. You see, in David, not just King David, but also King Jesus went through a process of preparation. Really, Jesus? Look at Hebrews 2, verse 17 with me. Actually, verse 10. Hebrews 2.10 says, It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. I want you to say, make perfect. Make perfect. 
Jesus had to be made perfect? Wait, Chris, you've got to be twisting the scriptures here a little bit. It depends on your understanding, our understanding of the word perfect. If we think of perfect as we usually do with Jesus was that he was sinless, then no, Jesus, he was always sinless. He, he, he didn't have to be made perfect in that sense. But the Greek word for perfect actually means to finish or complete. So Jesus actually had to be finished. He was born king, but he had to actually be prepared and made into something, even Jesus. And just so you know, I'm not twisting the scripture, 217 in Hebrews says this, therefore he had to be made. Say be made. Be made. Be made. Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. You see, Jesus was king at birth, but he had to become a priest. Am I losing you guys or y'all? It's just so good. You're just like, wow. Okay, guys, Jesus and King David were anointed. There was a calling. And I would say every single one of you have been created by God, given a calling, a dream, a purpose. There's something he's wanting to speak and do through your life. And maybe most of you, he's already told you what that's going to be, but you're in the process somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And you're like a little bit frustrated. I've been there. You're like, what? God, this isn't what you said. You told me when I was 19 years old that I was going to be this or that or that you had this calling or, or anointing on my life. And here I am at 26, and I'm just like floundering. I'm not seeing anything come to pass. Tell that to Joseph when he was in prison, right? Tell that to King David when Saul was throwing spears at him because he was losing his mind. You know what I'm saying? Oh, guys, this is so important for us. This is so important for us. David and Jesus had to become who God made them to be through what did it for Jesus? What made him perfect? Did you catch it in Hebrews 2.10? Suffering. suffering. He had to be made perfect through suffering. Or I would say the endurance, the endurance of hardship, the endurance of suffering is actually what completes us. It's actually what shapes us to help us become who God made us to be. Okay, let me, give you, uh, let me give you a simple illustration that hopefully will help all of us like land on this in a powerful way. Okay, picture like a block of clay, like potter's clay, okay? I want you to picture, that is you. You're a block of clay, and God is looking at you. The creator of heaven and earth, he's looking at you, and he's like, you're amazing. I've created you. You are such an amazing child of God, this block of clay. And you know what, Mitchell Welch? There is a calling on your life. You're going to be a father. You're going to be a leader. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to plant churches. You're going to disciple people. Your descendants are going to raise up disciples and impact the nations of the earth. Little block of clay, Mitchell Welch. Isn't that exciting, Mitchell? Yes, that's so exciting, God. I'm a block. That's so exciting. Okay, so then God takes this block. Okay, I've spoken. This is what I'm going to do in your life. And he takes this block of clay and he slaps it on the potter's wheel and starts splashing water on it. And Mitchell's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then he hits go on the little spinny deal, right? And he starts spinning. And Mitchell's like, whoa, whoa. Are you serious? God, what are you doing? Okay, then, so he's now wet and he's spinning. And then God starts digging his fingers into his sides. 
Oh, Lord, what are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? Are you catching me here? Okay? He's got you on the potter's wheel. He's digging his fingers into you. You're spinning around. He's shaping you into exactly what he said he was going to do with your life. And yet so often we're spinning around in our mid-20s or early 30s or wherever you're at, and we're so, we're so like uncomfortable with the process that we're missing the promise. Guys, we have to become. We have to become. King David had to become. King Jesus had to become. How much more do we need to become? And the, the deal is, is that we, we have to actually humble ourselves and submit ourselves to this process. We can fight against the potter's hands all day long. It's just going to take longer. Serious. Some of you are wondering, why is this taking so long for me to arrive? Because you haven't stopped fighting against the potter's hands. Humble yourself and give in to his hands as they dig into the painful places. He's shaping you into a vessel. Why? Because vessels carry stuff. He wants to put something in you. He wants you to carry his treasure all throughout the earth. And King David and King Jesus showed us that. And in Isaiah 45, verse 9, we've got this amazing scripture here that wraps it all up. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Some of you are alive. I got plenty of handles, actually. But uh, I'm sorry, guys. That's so distracting. But it's funny. So, but... God is like shaping us. And if, if we will actually humble ourselves and allow him to do his work, guys, we will be blown away at who we become. Amen? Amen. That was number one. Like Jesus. <laughs> David was anointed as king early in his life, but submitted himself to the process of God to become who he was called to be. Number two, like Jesus, King David was chosen from among the people, and God made a covenant with King David that his throne would be established forever. So King David is this amazing Old Testament foreshadowing of King Jesus. And one of the primary places that we, so we see this enacted is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we see Nathan the prophet come and bring a word from the Lord to King David. And it's what theologians call the Davidic covenant. Be honest, have you ever heard of that? Raise your hand if you have. The Davidic covenant. Okay, you're going to learn something this morning if you can hang in with me for the next few minutes, okay? So we read in 1 Samuel 16 when... David was anointed at 15 years old. So now we're fast forwarding 15 plus year. He's now in his early 30s. He is now the king of Israel. And there's a night where the word of God comes to his right hand man, a prophet named Nathan, and speaks this powerful promise over David's life and his destiny. It's in 2 Samuel 7. We're just going to read a couple verses starting in verse 8. He says, Now therefore, thus Shall you say to my servant David, he's speaking to Nathan, he says, go tell him this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. 
And I have been with you wherever you went. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Jump down to verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I want you to pay attention to the covenant language here, the I wills, the I wills. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God, through the prophet Nathan, enters into a contract with King David based on some pretty radical promises of this covenant. The I will, the I will. You can sum it up in these three words if you're taking notes. The three main tenets of the Davidic covenant were house, throne, and kingdom. House, throne, and kingdom. He said, I am going to build my house through your descendants, through your offspring. I am going to establish the throne of your descendants forever, and I am going to establish my kingdom on the earth through that throne, house, throne, and kingdom. So now let's look into the New Testament through those three words. Is there anywhere in the New Testament where, where there's language about a house? Huh, what do we talk about almost every week? The household of God is the church. Okay, interesting. Uh, anywhere in the New Testament where we hear about the throne or, or the authority, maybe famous last words of Jesus, now all authority has been given to me, right? Thrones represent authority. We see Jesus claiming the authority of the earthly throne. And then lastly, obviously, the whole New Testament is about the kingdom of God. So as we look into the New Testament through the Davidic covenant, house, throne, and kingdom, we see a lot of stuff is supposed to come to life in the New Testament through these promises. Are you following with me? Okay, so house, throne, and kingdom. I want to talk about throne for a second because God made a promise to King David about the throne. Let me ask you this. Was he talking about a heavenly throne or an earthly throne? Okay, was David, did David live in heaven or did he live on the earth? Okay, so was he talking about an earthly throne or a heavenly throne? He's talking about earthly throne. He said, I am going to establish an earthly throne through your people forever. So think about Jesus in the incarnation, him becoming a man. Have you ever asked the question, was there any other way that God could have done it? Did Jesus really have to become a man? Was he just like kind of trying to show us that he really cared, and I'll become a man like you guys. Have you ever really thought about that? Did he have to become a man? Or do you think that was just the way he chose to do it? Who thinks he had to become a man? Who thinks he just chose that? Who thinks they don't have any idea? <laughs> we got some honest folks. Come on. Okay, so God was talking about an earthly throne that he would establish through David's offspring. And so, guys, the incarnation was the only way. You see, Jesus had to become a man so he could fulfill the Davidic covenant. He had to become a man so that he could step in to the lineage of David and establish the earthly throne forever and ever. Because check it out, guys. Was the throne of heaven in question? Never. The throne of heaven was never in question. But was the throne of earth? Yes. The throne of earth was in question. Because of we gave it away, 
when we rebelled against God, we being man. So Jesus had to step into the line of David. Okay, I'm, I'm losing y'all. Go to Luke chapter 1, okay? I know it's June, but we're going to read a Christmas verse, okay? Are y'all okay with that? Yes, we can talk about these things other than once a year, okay? Luke chapter 1, check this out. Verse 30 through 33. Y'all want to read along here? The angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. We're going to have to put some Christmas trees up here. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Wow. God gave Jesus a throne, not the throne of heaven, guys. Jesus became a man to take what throne? The throne of his father, David. The incarnation was the only way. Jesus was chosen, like King David, from among the people to come to fulfill this covenant that God had made with humanity to establish the throne of earth. Why, are, why, am, I, why am I going through all this like, complex like, covenant fulfillment stuff? Guys, because the throne of earth has been claimed by King Jesus. He fulfilled it. He did it. He has claimed the throne of the earth that was in question. And yet, do we see him sitting and ruling and reigning on the throne of earth right now? No, we do not. We do not. So we have a king who is coming again, and we've got to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to be a people in waiting Jesus stepped in. He claimed the throne of the earth, and he will come again to forever rule and reign over the earth, but we actually have work to do while we wait. Amen? And so what does it look like, as we close here in a minute, what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to be a people in waiting for our rightful king? What does it look like for us to wait well for King Jesus to sit on his earthly throne. He's on the throne of heaven, amen? On earth as it is in heaven. The throne of heaven is coming to earth, amen? It's not here fully yet, amen? So we've got work to do, amen? So what does it look like for us to wait well for our king to come? It's the last and final point is that we actually have to live like King David and we have to live like King Jesus. Here's the interesting thing about these two men. King David, just like Jesus, was a warrior and a worshiper. He was a warrior and a worshiper. And these two characteristics must go hand in hand for us to be a kingdom people and waiting for the king. Check this out. David was an incredible general. He led the Israelites to great military victories over their enemies, so much so that they actually wrote songs about David and how amazing of a warrior he was. You heard this, they'd say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. What if you were such a radical warrior that they wrote songs about how many people you had killed? It's kind of crazy. He was, in a, he was an amazingly successful warrior, but in the secret place, David was a worshiper before he was anything else. He wrote hundreds of songs to the Lord. His devotional life was rich 
with communion to God through song and prayer, tears and joy. He was a man after God's heart. So I want to speak to the men for a second. Men, what's up? (laughs) Men, how do we wait for the king? By being warriors and worshipers, and you don't have to be one or the other. You see, guys, you don't have to just be the hard-nosed warrior who shows no emotion as you run your company or lead your family or this or that. You don't just have to be the tough guy, the CEO. But you also don't just have to be the really artistic, creative, worshipy guy that's always picking on the guitar. You see, we're actually called to be both. Jesus was the fulfillment of both, spirit and truth. King David was the fulfillment of both. Men, are you with me? We are actually called to be well-balanced men. Jesus was not, woke up in the morning to go spend time with God on the mountainside and probably raised his hands in worship as he just cultivated this place of worship with God. And then he took those same hands and entered the temple of God and saw great injustices and used those same hands that he used to worship to flip the table over in the temple. Are you seeing me? Are you seeing it? Jesus was a worshiper, and he was a warrior. King David was a warrior, and he was a worshiper. And we find in the New Testament and New Covenant that these things are actually one and the same. That the place of worship is a place of warfare, because we know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, and stand firm. Stand firm in the whole armor of God. I'm going to ask you, church, to stand up as we close. I know I've taken you a little bit all over the place today with King David, and you might be going, wow, okay, what are we at church here today for? Chris, are you going to land this for us? Guys, the legacy of King David is a life of praise. The legacy of King David is a life of worship. In the Old Testament, in that age and time, it was worship and literal warfare. But make no mistake, his life was rooted in the place of praise. And if we had more time to unpack the Psalms, you would see all throughout the Psalms, he says stuff like this. I'm going to read a couple real quick. All throughout the Psalms, he says stuff like this. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and a two-edged sword in their hand. All throughout the Psalms. I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp. I will play to you with my instrument. You who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the sword. You see, David lived in a day and time where it was obvious to him that his worship equated to victory in his warfare. Jesus, Jesus lived in a new covenant reality of spirit and truth where the Father is seeking true worshipers, where now our worship is our warfare. Because we do not battle against flesh and blood like David did, 
We battle against spiritual forces and darkness in the heavenly places. And so people, the most important thing for us then as we wait for our king who came in the line of King David to establish the earthly throne, the most important thing that we can do and become if we want to see the throne of Jesus established on the earth is to become a people of praise like King David, a people of praise like King Jesus. So I am inviting us, church. This is an us response. This is an us corporate morning. If you want us to pray, we're going to have some life group leaders come up. If you're in a season of preparation, what we talked about earlier, we would love to pray for you. So life group leaders, y'all go ahead and come, come up here. We would love to pray with you. But guys, this is the corporate response this morning. I am inviting us. We are being invited into a new place of praise as a church where worship is our warfare. Are you guys with me? Is this connecting with you at all? Guys, we are called to be a people of praise. And what we stumbled upon this morning during our worship service was just the tip of the iceberg, people. If we will give ourselves to praise, we'll give our hearts wholly to worship God. That's the invitation. So here you go. If your normal is singing this loud, I want you to sing this loud right now, okay? If your normal is hands like this, I want you to put your hands like this today, guys. If your normal is hands like this, I want you to put your hands like this today. I, don't, I know we all have different comfort zones. I am asking every single one of us to become a people of praise that take a step deeper into our worship as warfare. It is for all of us. It is for all of us. So we're gonna sing this song together. We're gonna sing that we have no greater invitation than to be like Jesus, to give everything that we have. Oh, to be like you, to give all we have, to give all we have to know you. It's an invitation to worship as warfare this morning. Are you with me, church? Jesus, we come. Lord, give us grace to step deeper into a life of worship. Right now in this moment, would you lead all of us into it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.